our first guest of 2023 on the pod, Where the Party At podcast, Council Member Jason Dozier. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Sawa. Good to be here. Good. All right. So I know who you are. I know your background, but our listeners might not. So just give us a little bit about who is Council Member Jason Dozier how did you even become a council member? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm a, sometimes I give people the long story. I'm going to try to not make it as long as I have in the past. But uh, the shorter version uh, is that I'm a native of Atlanta. I was born at what used to be Georgia Baptist Hospital, uh, became Atlanta Medical Center. Now was, there's no medical facility there anymore. So I'm still heartbroken about that. But, um, you know, I'm, I consider myself an Atlanta native. But I was raised in South DeKalb. So I was raised by a single mom, grew up off of Farrington Road, uh, came out of DeKalb County Schools and uh, decided, you know, I want to do something bigger than myself. After I graduated, I uh, went to school up north in Ohio, studied to be a teacher, uh, learned very quickly teaching is hard. And shout out to my educators out there. Uh, so didn't go into education, came back home, had a, what I like to call a crisis of purpose, uh, ended up uh, working in the warehouse for a year while I figured myself out. And then I decided, you know what? I'm gonna do what people do when they don't know what to do with their lives. I joined the army, uh, served in the army for six years, served in both Iraq and Afghanistan, had my revelation that I want to come back home to Atlanta to help Atlanta be like the cities I had visited and traveled in. Uh, you know, Baghdad is about 1,500, 1,000 years old, somewhere in there. Atlanta's only 170 years old. So I wanted to come back home, make sure my city stood the test of time and uh, went to grad school, University of Georgia. I know we're playing for national championships tomorrow, go dogs. Uh, and that is what led me on my path to where I decided eventually to run for city council. I was a community organizer, used my educational background to uh, work with the Turner Field Community Benefits Coalition, fighting for uh, community benefits agreement, fighting for neighborhoods, fighting for housing justice and transportation justice and access. And that led me to decide to, like I said, take the plunge, run for city council. Wasn't successful in 2017, but I went at it again in 2021. And here I am today. Got it. And you ran against what I would call an entrenched incumbent, someone who was well known in the community, incredibly hard to beat. Why do that? Um, because I felt like the city wasn't doing enough to help people who were living in the margins, people who uh, like me. And then one of the things I didn't share about my background is that, you know, being raised by a single mom, uh, we ended up in some financial dire straits and ended up losing our home of 16 years um, and ended up being frankly homeless for three months, having to rely on the generosity of friends and family and living on couches and heating up houses with with ovens and don't do that. But uh, that's what that's how desperate we were at that time. And so seeing the city not support people who uh, were in those margins, especially when you see gentrification, when you see uh, uh, just dis the displacement that's been happening in such a rapid pace the last 10 years, and was very disappointed in my council persons at the time's decisions around uh, not ensuring a community benefits agreement was part of the sale of Turner Field. So that's why I ran in 2017. And when I lost, seeing all, all these same things continue to, to really manifest in ways that were hurting people at the bottom of the, of the ladder. And I want to change that. So that's why I ran. And, and that's what I keep in the back of my head as I you know, serve yeah. in this office, serve in this position. So I wanted to talk to you about some legislation you just introduced that I think sharing a little bit more about your personal experience helps people maybe understand why you introduced that legislation. So just give a high level overview of the three pieces of legislation you introduced, and then we'll go into 
the why and the what. Yeah, absolutely. So I introduced three, I like to consider them companion papers. They're zoning ordinances uh, and they're specifically targeted towards the Beltline overlay. Uh, Beltline overlay is defined as, you, everybody knows the Beltline Trail is a 22-ish uh, mile loop around the city of Atlanta, former uh, uh, rail uh, a corridor. Uh, and that's being, you know, people know the sidewalk piece, but half a mile in either direction, that is the Beltline overlay. So um, you know, a lot can happen within half a mile of a trail. And we have one of the city's most important walk sheds or walking areas. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we can make pedestrians as safe as possible. And so we do three things that make the area less vehicle oriented and more pedestrian oriented because it's a national trend, it's a statewide trend, it's a citywide trend uh, where pedestrian fatalities, pedestrian inju injuries have gone up sharply in the last two, especially in the last two years. It's gone up over the last 10 years, but the last two years, especially because of the pandemic, uh, it, you know, people are getting hurt and people are getting killed. So uh, we do three things. One, we ban new drive-throughs and drive-ins. Uh, number two, we ban new gas stations. And number three, uh, we get rid of the city's requirement that developers have to build a certain amount of parking or, or minimum parking when they build a new development. So we were getting the city out of uh, the decision on whether a developer builds a parking deck or builds a parking lot. We're trying to, through zoning, try to make it safer for pedestrians to be able to walk down the street and cross the street. Because uh, when you look at the data, uh, that's where it says that uh, people are more likely to get hurt, where you have places where cars are pulling in and pulling out. Uh, that density of driveways and curb cuts uh, leads to a higher rate of pedestrian injuries and pedestrian fatalities. So trying to solve a transportation issue through our zoning tools is what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And one thing people don't know about Atlanta is if you look at pedestrian fatalities, it's overwhelming on the south side. It's overwhelming black people, black men. That's something that's surprising Absolutely. if you look at the data, people are always surprised to hear that. 75% of pedestrian fatalities are black people. White and granted, the city, we're only about we're at about 50% black right now as a city, but 75% of pedestrian fatalities are black people. You are twice as likely to be hurt or killed as a black pedestrian than you are as a white pedestrian. And that's got to change. And that's what we're trying to change through this legislation. Yeah. So banning new gas stations. That's something that my folks might say, well, what's the point of that? So wh why is that something that you're interested in? Yeah. So one of the things I like to you know point people towards is kind of where there's where we made some missteps from an urban design standpoint years ago or decades ago that we're having to contend with today. So think about over by the, the Cascade Kroger over off of uh, uh, Ralph David Abernathy and Langhorn and Cascade where all those streets all meet and Beltline cuts right through there. However, if you might notice, you know, as pedestrians, you might see there's a lot of huge, wide curb cuts for. Oh, what tell what a curb cut? Sorry. I know what a curb there cut is, go. but what is a? Well, curb you know, cut? if you have a driveway to your house, the the connection point from the street to the the concrete on your driveway, that's a curb cut. It's where instead of the curb doing a sharp drop off, uh, is essentially uh, a nice. Uh, uh, I never had to describe a curb cut before, so now I'm trying to find my words on it. But, but it's like a, it's like a little <laughs> angle. Yeah, it's like an angle so that you can you can make the transition without making without it being jarring. So, right. it, uh, you know, for gas stations especially, 
because cars are coming in and out at all times at all sorts of different angles, the curb cuts are very wide and they're meant for two or even up to three cars to have to, to be able to get in and out. So if you're trying to walk past the gas station, that's an additional place in which you're interacting with the vehicle. And that's where the data shows you have a lot of collisions and a lot of injuries because of that. Similarly with drive-throughs, and now you're gonna ask about that uh, in a, in a, as well. Uh, but all that, there's a, there's a confluence of all these sorts of bad designs over by the Cascade Kroger. And so by the belt line, so that's what I had in mind of what I wanna prohibit or prevent from happening in the future. Let's make it so that as a pedestrian, you don't have to worry about you know, a car coming out and not paying attention because that's what's been happening is drivers look left and right. They look for other cars. They're not looking for people. And I have a two-year-old at home. I like walking down to the to the store with her. I like walking to the park with her. Sometimes she insists on riding in her stroller, even though she's getting a little too old for it. But I am have gotten a lot more observant about how non-observant other motorists are for pedestrians just through that. And that's just me going on a walk with my kid. There's families who don't have a car, don't have access to a car, rely on uh, taking the bus to to work and to to get their kids to daycare, who rely on walking to the corner store to, to get their groceries. And when you look at where the percent, highest percentage of residents who don't have a car in this city is, is in Southwest Atlanta, Southwest Atlanta communities. Um, and and that's why, that's a big part of why a lot of the, the, the injuries and fatalities that have happened for pedestrians are on that side of town because you have a lot more people who don't have a car. So let's think about this from a lens of equity and accessibility and access. Let's just make sure that the people who are in our margins of our society who need the most help and, and rely on these sorts of ways of getting around are uh, being you know, made, You know, these policies are designed for them to protect them because we haven't done enough to do so. So on the pod, I talk a lot about how as much as people pay attention to national politics, it's really at home, the local politics that truly impacts your day-to-day life. And this is clearly an example. What has been the reaction from folks to your legislation? Yeah, it's been it's been surprisingly, really overwhelmingly positive because the city of Atlanta is a place to where we know we need to make a lot of changes happen to make our city better. But when you start talking about zoning and talking about what you can't, back to Councilmember Faroki's legislation last year around allowing by right duplexes and triplexes, uh, you know, ways in which we built our city historically that we put in rules to say, no, we don't want to do that anymore. We're just kind of going back to that. People freaked out about it. Similarly with this, uh, you know, my, my, my concern was that, uh, you know, people are so used to gas stations being nearby. People are so used. I had someone tell me that by re- preventing uh, new gas stations. I was making it harder for for families to be able to uh, to be safe because they don't. You know, it's, there's people have made some weird spurious arguments, but that's been in the minority. The o- reaction has been very overwhelming. Uh, I I'm still on Twitter. You know, I haven't jumped the Twitter the Twitter ship yet. And uh, my post announcing that, you know, I had introduced this legislation was probably the, the number two or number three uh, uh, most interactions I've ever gotten on anything I ever posted on Twitter. Up at the top is when I was on Jeopardy a few years ago and people were like, oh, that's cool that you're on there and this, that, and the other. Like this was up there at that level. So people are excited about it. And I think the reality is uh, I think people see this as being a very different and innovative way to address 
it was largely a transportation issue. And I know we're doing a lot as a city around narrowing streets and complete streets and uh, retrofitting and putting new sidewalks and things like that. But we can't wait until 2025 and 2026 to deliver on some of these projects. Let's do some, make some changes today and let's do it with some other tools that we have. And so I think because we're doing it that way, there's been a, a lot of positive feedback towards this, where I think you might have seen a little bit of this in you know people's decision to co-sponsor my legislation. Uh, one legislation legislative item, I had 14 co-sponsors out of the 15 members of council. Another had 12, another had 11. These are still big majorities of, of my colleagues who agree with me that this is the right thing to do. But I think where you start seeing that 12 and at 11, I think that's where you, we might see, you know, when we start going before the MPUs and neighborhood associations, I think that's where we'll start seeing folks, you know, maybe let's look at uh, the, the, the ban on, uh, um, uh, drive-throughs in a different lens, through a different lens. Let's uh, have some conversations about whether the city should get rid of parking minimums and and because I don't want someone parking in front of my house just so that they can go to the belt line. So I think those conversations will happen. Um, but I think that it's been surprising at how positive reaction and response has been so far. So, you know, I know once people start digesting and organizing, people might feel a little bit different between now and by the time this thing becomes law in a few months, but uh, the reaction has been overwhelmingly positive and to the point where I've been surprised at it. And I wanna make sure we keep that momentum up and continue to educate people why this is important. So I really appreciate uh, even folks like you inviting me onto your to your shows to to talk about it because it's important for people to know why this is something that I think is going to help save lives. So you mentioned a couple of words that might be unfamiliar for folks, things like co-sponsors mm -hmm. of legislation. So what does it what does it take to write and introduce three pieces of legislation, get it through committee and get it passed? Can you just help us understand what that process looks like? Yeah. So for most legislative items that you have at City Hall, if it's a resolution, you can introduce it on one day, you'll discuss it at committee the next day, and then you'll vote on it for a final vote the following city council. I mean, it's pretty quick legislative turnaround. And the resolution is not law. It's not law, it's not binding. We're, we're, we're nicely asking uh, a city department or our state legislator to, to do X, Y, Z. Uh, depending on what the resolution is, so some of our city departments will respond to that in a very direct way, uh, but it's not legally binding. Ordinances require an additional legislative cycle in between introduction and final passage. Uh, for this, but the, where you have a bit of a caveat is for zoning ordinances, which what this is, there's some additional legislative, uh, I'm not called bureaucratic, but it, it's, there's some additional administrative hurdles before it becomes law. And uh, for any zoning paper we have as a city, uh, what's called a zoning review board. So they review everything from, I wanna turn my single family home into a coffee shop and in in, I need to make some changes to the zoning to allow for that. They'll review those sorts of applications, um, but in, including new changes from the city council on um, uh, changes to the zoning. So for, for, for this, it'll go before the zoning review board. Before it goes to the zoning review board, it will go before the impacted neighborhood planning units, which uh, city of Atlanta has 242 neighborhoods. Each of those neighborhoods is grouped into one of 25 neighborhood planning units. And that's the main way the city 
uh, does community engagement, community input, and those MPUs will vote to support or deny or not at all. And that goes back to the zoning review board as a recommendation. The zoning review board will then make a recommendation to support or oppose. And that then goes back to city council as a, as a recommendation for the zoning committee. And then the zoning committee will vote it up or down. And if they vote it up, it goes before full council. And that whole process for zoning legislation can take three to five months, depending on how soon it goes before. Essentially, the department, the city department of city planning will place it on a future ZRB agenda. And that's what we're still waiting on. It's what that timeline is for that. And then we can figure out which, when it's going to go before MPUs and yeah. that way that all that sort of stuff. So, um, yes, yeah, so it's, it's a long process. It's a long process. <laughs> I mean, just as an example, I introduced zoning uh, legislation in July to, um, limit the amount of parking a developer can build in downtown Atlanta. Um, because there's so many parking lots and parking spaces already. In exactly. Atlanta. Exactly. And that passed, thankfully. Um, but it took five months. We voted on it as a full council on December the 5th. So yeah. that's, you know, I'm a new council member, so I'm still learning about how long things take. And so back in my head, I can do, I can start going forward doing the back of the napkin math Three to five months is what it'll take, all things considered. And so, uh, but that's the process. Right. And the zoning review board, those are not made up of elected officials. Who appoints the zoning review board? Correct. Yes. It's not made up of elected officials. Um, I know this is being recorded, but uh, uh, please, uh, to your listeners and viewers, don't don't get mad at me for not remembering how many members there are. Sure. Uh, but I do know I will tell you that uh, at least two or three of the members are appointed by the mayor. Uh, everyone else, for the most part, is appointed by members of city council, uh, like District One, District Two, and then the post one at large person will agree on on a person district three and district four right. and the post uh, one at large mm -hmm. and so forth yeah. and so on. So uh, many, most of the members are, are appointed by city council. Um, but uh, there's a few that are appointed by the mayor and they essentially uh, twice a month convene to review zoning matters and uh, have the type of important conversations that they're supposed to be having. And then, but they are the city's, like first, even though the, the MPU system is there, the ZRB is the city is a mechanism of the city and is is built is baked into our city code to ensure yeah. that they have really first eyes on these papers that come through. So zoning sounds like an absolutely boring topic for <laughs> most folks, but the reason why I really wanted you to hear to talk about is to help people understand why they should care about zoning, how it actually impacts their life, and the fact that the city's actually going through a complete zoning rewrite that could impact everything from housing affordability to if there it could be a big box grocery store in your neighborhood like zoning really does fundamentally shape the city it, it does and we haven't uh, made any significant changes to our zoning code in about four decades and so this is our first big attempt to rewrite it in such a way to where we can streamline things make it easier to do the things we want to do as a city and that neighborhoods want to see in their communities neighborhoods want to see the coffee shops they want to see the restaurants they want to see the community centers but i mean i'm dealing with the situation in uh up in ashview heights a group is trying to build a community center they, they're taking an old house converting into a community center by washington high school and you know it's been about five months of legislating and 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 so forth and so on just to get the administrative side to to 
be supportive of that. Community supports it, but uh, our overhaul comprehensive rewrite of our zoning code will allow for things like that to happen much more quickly and be more streamlined and be more understandable at the end of the day. I mean, I'm, you know, floor area ratios and, uh, 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 you know, maximum setbacks, those sorts of things aren't really comprehensible by the general public. I right. barely comprehend them and I'm an elected official and we want to make sure we can make it accessible to the, to the people. I mean, most times people deal with zoning is, is when it's something that you don't want to see in your neighborhood. You, you don't want the, the, uh, uh, illegal mechanic, or you don't want the, uh, uh, Bar, a particular yeah, bar, things like that. So it's important for people to get involved in this process because it's going to define the quality of life of our neighborhood, the quality of life of our of our city, and really define the future of our city. So we want to make sure we have all as many voices in the room when we make these decisions yeah. as possible. So if someone wants to show um, a, I agree with this legislation or I disagree with the legislation, how do they do that? I think the, the first step is once we figure out what MPU meetings these this legislation will be discussed and debated definitely show up to those and, and provide your voice and if you're a member of that community vote up or down either way but definitely make your voice heard in those situations separately both at the zoning review board uh, hearing as well as at the zoning committee as well as at full council there's a public comment period and we want to hear from you uh, what you think about it as well um, so how do you sign up for public comment what do you have to do so uh there's the rules are slightly different depending on if it's uh uh a full city council meeting versus a committee uh individual committees are allowed to set their own rules around public comment for the committee that i chair i chair the community development and human services committee uh we allow three minutes of public comment and and to be honest i'm not a stickler for if you uh signed up you know, 15 minutes before the meeting starts, or if you show, if you came in late, if, you're st if we're still doing public comment, I will let you speak. Uh, the full council meetings are a lot more specific. You hit, like once that meeting starts, then you can know, even if, even if we're not going to do public comment for another two hours, because we're doing all these proclamations, you have to be signed up and, and enrolled to speak at public comment before the meeting starts. So this is all to say, get there before the meeting starts. Full council meets the first and third Monday of the month. And um, uh, you have until one o'clock PM to, to, to sign in for public comment. You'll have two minutes to speak. Um, and it, at the committee, various committee meetings, uh, I don't, I'm not sure how public comment works for zoning review board, but for uh, community development, human service committee, my committee, you have three minutes to speak plus or minus 15 to 30 seconds. I, I try to work with you, but I need our public comments to work with me too, because I'm running the meeting. Uh, but that's generally it. And sometimes a lot of folks come every single week. We see a lot of the same faces. We'll love to see some new faces. And I always invite people to come to speak and, and let us know as your elected officials what you think about the issues that we're either we're debating today or that we are going to be debating because it's going to impact everyone. Great. And so if someone ha has questions for you about the legislation, wants to read the legislation and understand more, how do they do that? Yeah. Um, you know, my uh, city email is jdozier, J-D-O-Z. I E R at Atlanta GA.gov. Sue me an email. Uh, I wish I remembered my, my city phone number off the top of my head, but I know uh, 
we can make sure that that your listeners and your and the folks watching will get that. Um, but definitely reach out to me in in, in my office. We are responsive, and uh, we want to know what people think. I've seen all the social media buzz, and I've had a lot of journalists reach out, want to learn more and, and learn you know how all this this works. But I want to really hear from the people. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's what we're here for: is to serve the people. And if if the people don't think this is the the uh the way forward that i want to i want to hear that my sneaking suspicion especially in conversations i've had so far before i introduced the legislation i think that this is something that the people want but i do want to hear from it from, from everyone uh you know good bad or indifferent all right well thank you very much jason thank you great to have you Perfect.